Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. We looked at the story of Jacob last week. We started a new series called Adjustment, and uh, we are making some adjustments in our life, hopefully. And uh, that's the whole idea, uh, I think, of Lent. Uh, Lent is a time for us to stop and think about all the things that, that go on in our lives, and uh, we look at all the excesses in our lives. We look at all the things that are, are so big in our lives, sometimes uh, over the top in our lives, and it's a time to make some really good adjustments. And so we're making adjustments. And uh, I, uh, I, had, uh, I didn't ask him to do it, but he did it. Pete drew that last week while I was talking, and I said, man, that, that's too great to not use. So we, we copied it, Pete. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. I know it was just your scribblings, but your scribblings are better than anybody else's art. So <laughs> I appreciate that. I think it's great. So anyway, we're going to look at the story of Jacob, part two today. If you have your Bibles and want to take them and turn to Genesis chapter 32, um, Genesis chapter 32, we're going to get there in just a few minutes. Uh, today is a day of adjustment. Uh, today, when you got up, uh, uh, the time change had happened. Last night before you went to bed, hopefully you set your clocks forward an hour, and we had a day, we have a day of adjustment, daylight savings time. We adjust our clocks forward one hour, our bodies will get the message in about three weeks that we did that, right? Uh, you know, I, I was just getting used to it, being nice and light when you got up, and now all of a sudden it's not light anymore, it's dark again, and it's so hard, and uh, man, I was, I was really struggling to get out of that, uh, get up and get going this morning, it was just difficult, but I'm thankful that you made it. And uh, glad that we're here. Like I said, last week we talked about Jacob. Uh, he's the second born of twin boys. Uh, his brother Esau was first born. His brother Esau has the birthright. His, uh, his brother Esau has the blessing. And Jacob steals both of those from his brother. He manages to manipulate his brother and to take both of those birthrights. And uh, because of that, he has forced to leave his father's house because his brother has uh, satisfied himself and is pacifying himself by his plot to kill his brother. He has this idea that down the road, he is going to take Jacob's life for what he has done. And so he leaves his father and he finds himself in the desert alone at night. And there in the desert that while he's alone there at night, he meets God and God pronounces his blessing upon Jacob. He gives him the blessing that he gave to Abraham, his grandfather. He told him that he was going to bless the world through him, that through his, his offspring, the world would be blessed, and that his offspring would be as many as the sand is the, on the shores of the sea. It, it's a huge blessing. And that blessing given to Abraham is passed on to Jacob. I said the adjustment we need to make last week was that oftentimes we get so busy with life, our lives get so filled up that we can't really hear from God. That many times we're out there trying our best to, to get everything to happen, we're running around doing all the things, and somehow down the road we miss everything that God said because we're just so busy. And so the adjustment we need to make is oftentimes we need to find a place to get alone. We need to go find a place to get alone with God. We need to go find a place to sit down where it's quiet. 
and where we can hear what God is saying to us so that we know that we, uh, uh, what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be living. And we need to do that. We need to be purposeful about doing that. That is so hard to do because our lives are so busy. There are so many things that are going on right now in your life. You know, this week just went by in a blur for me. And I know it did for most of you. And your weeks pile up and they pile up. And here we are into March of the new year already. And it just seems like we just got started. But we have to take time to purposefully set aside things so that we can hear from God. And get to a place where God can use that time to make adjustments in our lives. And to help us to make changes that we need to make. It has to be a time where God can speak and and make his way clear to us. Just like he did for Jacob. So today I want to pick up our story. And Jacob is now out in the desert. He has crossed over and he comes up to this watering hole, this well, whatever. A place where water was at. It's an oasis kind of in the desert. And he runs into this person named Rachel. And then she takes him to meet her father. And she is his cousin. It's his uncle Laban's daughter. And so they get together, they celebrate. And and Jacob becomes very smitten by Rachel. People married their cousins back then. That's a whole other story. We won't talk about that so much. The Bible sometimes has things that we don't quite get, but it was a different time, a different place. We'll just leave it there and go on. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but Jacob agrees to work for his uncle for seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. And so he goes to work, and at the end of seven years, I don't know how Laban did this. I've never figured this out exactly, but either he got Jacob so drunk that he didn't know what was going on, possible, or they got married in the night when it was dark and they didn't let anybody see what was going on. But Jacob gets married to who he thinks is Rachel, wakes up the next morning and looks over And it's Leah, not Rachel, laying next to him. And he goes, "Uh uh-oh, this is not what I worked seven years for. She's not near as pretty, pretty mattered then too, I guess. And he was not exactly happy about that. So he goes and talks to his father-in-law now. And his father-in-law says, well, we don't give the uh, younger girl till the older one's married. So you are married to her now. And he said, if you'll work for me another seven years, I'll let you marry Rachel. So he agrees to seven more years, and he marries Rachel. Meantime, Jacob continues in his manipulative and conniving ways, and he makes a deal to take all the spotted and weak-looking sheep that is in his uncle's herd and all the weak and spotted goats that is in his uncle's herd. What Jacob does, though, is he begins to manage to breed them in such a way that almost all the sheep are spotted, and he takes all the spotted sheep And pretty soon, his herds are bigger than his father-in-law's herds. So now, he's married to these two sisters. And again, we don't want to talk about that. Being married to sisters, that cannot be a good thing. I I just don't believe that can be a good thing. So he's married to these two sisters. And both of them have handmaidens that they give to him. And he ends up with four wives. And it's not getting better. and, And he's having kids with Leah and the two servant girls he's married to and finally one with Rachel and he has like 10 or 11 kids by now I mean it's it's this big old thing that's going on and finally the tension between Jacob and his father-in-law his father-in-law slash uncle has grown so much that there's another adjustment that needs to be made and Jacob takes off to head back to the place where he came from but he doesn't do it by going to his 
father-in-law and saying, hey, listen, things have gotten tough between us, and maybe we need to take a little bit of a time out. And He just sneaks off like he did before. He just sneaks off in the middle of the night. He takes this big entourage of people and, and sheep and donkeys and camels and all the stuff that he has and goats, and boom, he heads off into the desert. And uh, here he is out in the desert again. Now, remember, he, he went out into the desert to start with with nothing. When he headed out into the desert before, he didn't even have a place to lay his head as a pillow. Remember that? He doesn't even have a pillow. He has to take a rock and lay it down. He lays down on top of the rock, and that's where he slept that night. I have a pillow like that, so I understand. That gives you a headache at night, and that's what he woke up with. But he has no place to even lay down. And so he has gone out into that desert. He encountered God at Bethel with nothing. And that's what he called the place that he encountered him. He was sleeping outside, no pit, no, no tent, no pillow, and he's made big promises to God. This isn't the scripture I have you turn to, but right before that, in Genesis chapter 28, it says this, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house and all of you all, and all, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now it's 15, 16 years later, Jacob's returning to the land of his father. As I said, he's returning with four wives, this large herd of animals, children, servants to help with everything. He had gone into the country with nothing. He had heard the voice of God. God had made big promises. Jacob had returned big promises. But here's the problem. He's gotten all distracted by life. Anybody ever found yourself distracted by life? You made God a lot of promises. You said, I'm going to do these things. This is what I have in mind. And you meant it when you said it. I believe that when people make promises, they, they mean to keep them. But life goes on and you get busy and lots of stuff begins to happen and it piles up and days go by in a flash. And the next thing you know, 25 years went by. Anybody ever felt like that a little bit? Well, no place in those 16 to 17 years can I find where Jacob had any more encounters with God. It stops. He's had the one encounter. He's made the big promises. God's made promises to him. He goes off now. He's so busy with everything. And there is not one place in there that I find where he has encounters with God again. It never mentions his devotion to God. It just seems that the dream and the conversation with God had been relegated to another time and to another place, and Jacob was now too busy for God. He's just too busy doing his own thing, too busy raising his sheep, too busy uh, getting his goats together, having children, trying to figure out what to do with sisters that you're married to, and all those things, and he just doesn't have time for God. But here's the deal. God has a way of getting our attention when he wants to. You ever notice that? God has a way of kind of rattling our cage and getting our attention when he needs to. Jacob was about to encounter God again. God spoke to Jacob in Genesis chapter 31, and here's what he calls himself. This is important. He says, I am the God of Bethel. Why would he say that? The answer is simply this, because he knew that he and Jacob had had an encounter. He knew that he had met with Jacob at this place called Bethel. And he's reminding him, he's going back and said, hey, remember me? We talked back here at Bethel and you made some big promises. And I want to know when you're going to start keeping those promises. I want to know when you're going to do what you said you were going to do. I want to know when you're going to step up to the plate and when you're going to start getting 
busy doing the things that you and I talked about. God tells Jacob, go home. Tells him, I want you to leave your uncle's land. I want you to go home. I want you to get back to where you started from. That land is the land that I promised to give you. You need to go back. So now he sneaks out of the house of his uncle. He takes his wives and kids and heads out for home. And he has this encounter with his father-in-law. He chases him down. It's, a, it's kind of a tough deal. And, and uh, you know, they go through this thing. But finally they reach a reconciliation and, and he goes on. But there's a problem here. The problem is, is that Jacob has a problem back at home. Because you remember what he did? He snuck off. He left Esau holding the bag. He left his parents. He left everything. And he just took off. He left everything a mess. Any of you ever leave something and leave it a mess? Just hoping you never have to run into that person again. Never have to deal with that situation again. Just hope that maybe it would just go away. It never does. I'm an absolute believer that sooner or later you'll always be confronted by the things that you left a mess. You're going to run into it. That mess is going to come back and it's going to be right there eventually. You're going to find that mess. You'll deal with the people you've ghosted by just sneaking off. They'll kind of be back in your life. You'll have to deal with the kids who you've ignored. The ex-spouse, they always show up. You'll see someone you owe money to at Walmart. It's a fact. Just leaving, ghosting, ignoring something like it never happened, never works. Time never erases these situations. In fact, it's a funny thing, time only intensifies these situations. So now Jacob has to go back. God has spoken to him, and he has to face his brother, whom he stole the birthright and the blessing from. The problem is this, that while Jacob is accumulating wealth and power, so is Esau. Esau has gotten super powerful too. And it looks like there can be this all-out war between these two brothers that's going to ensue. It looks really difficult. Jacob sends out spies. They come back and they say, your brother's headed this way. He's got 400 men with him. Man, Jacob says, I don't have 400 men. What am I going to do? You got to remember, Jacob had left with nothing, but now he's got responsibility for this large group of people. He's got responsibility for this large group of animals. He has this whole entourage that's with him. There's a lot at stake. But Jacob, in typical Jacob style, doesn't go to God and ask what to do. He just simply cannot seem to remember that when things get difficult, you got to run to God. Instead, he does what he always does. And he begins to try to figure it out. And he decides that he can buy his brother off. I bought him off when I needed his birthright. I got his blessing by sneaking. And I can do the same thing. So he begins to put some of his animals together. And he creates this herd of animals. And he's going to go to his brother. And he's going to buy him off. He's going to tell him, look, I got stuff for you here. And he's going to take care of it. He has a plan to manipulate and buy his brother off. To work things out for himself. He, he also devises another plan. He's going to take his family and he's going to split them up in two parts. And he's going to make it so that if, if, if his brother attacks one, he won't get the rest of them. He's going to save his hide some way. Then Jacob does what we do when we get desperate enough. And I've done this and I assume that probably most of you have done this very thing yourself. When you finally get to the point you don't know what to do and you get desperate enough, you finally pray. That is the thing we do. We wait until it's so desperate. We don't know what to do. Oh, I don't know what to do. I guess finally, I, I guess maybe I'll just pray about it because, you know, I don't know what else to do. And so he prays and he goes back to his encounter with God. And that's in Genesis 32, 
verses 9 through 12, and it says this. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he'll come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you've said, I will surely make you prosper, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. And here he is, he's throwing God's promise in his face. He's saying, oh, it won't happen if you let me die. So he's kind of saying, hey, God, uh, you know, I know I've been around a while, but you promised. I've been there. I've done that. So now in desperation, he remembers and he reminds him of his promises. So Jacob sends all of his livestock. He sends his wives and kids ahead. They go over the fort of Jabbok. And then Jacob gets alone with God again. And this is Genesis 32 and 22 through 32. And that night, Jacob got up and his, uh, took his two wives, his female servants, his 11 sons. And he crossed the fort of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw Jacob's hip, uh, uh, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what's your name? And Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you struggle with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So here's the deal. Once again, Jacob gets alone. He's finally out there alone. He's going to go be alone. He's got to find out what to do. He's, he's afraid. And so he's alone, and when he gets alone, God shows up. You know, I got to tell you something out of that. When you get alone, if you'll take the time to do it, if you'll stop and get alone, if you'll find a place, God will show up. He always does. And you know what? We need to remember that and we need to start living in that. And we need to do it more often, more than just when we get in trouble. And I wonder how much time Jacob had spent trying to manipulate, trying to figure everything out in his life in these 15 to 17 years. I wonder how much time he had spent busy worrying. Anybody here ever spend any time busy worrying, trying to get things to work because, you know, you're worried into place? You know, how many of you realize worrying won't change anything? He's so, he's so busy being stressed out. I have lived my life at times being so stressed out instead of going to pray. And prayer is the way we're supposed to do it. And I wonder if, if he would have just gotten alone and quiet. I wonder if I would have just gotten alone and quiet. I wonder if you would just get alone and quiet with God. What might happen? I wonder if God would have met with him. So in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, it says, Jacob wrestled with the man of God until daybreak. He's so desperate, Jacob is. He's afraid. He knows how he has messed all this up. He is in such fear of his brother Esau and the 400 men that is coming. And he's also in fear of God. What if I haven't gone to God and now God is mad at me and God doesn't want me back? What if everything I've done, God's saying, you know, it's too late. You've messed up and I'm not interested anymore. He wants an assurance. He wants a blessing from God. He is so desperate that he won't let this man of God go. He holds on. He's so desperately afraid of Esau and the situation. He wants a blessing from God. And here's the problem with that. 
He already has a blessing from God. And I wonder sometimes maybe if he hasn't just forgotten that God blessed him. He pronounced this huge blessing over him at Bethel. Remember he said, I'm going to make you uh, uh, the blessing for the world. I'm going to bless the world through you and your offspring. I'm going to pour out blessing on blessing on you. You're going to have so many offspring that there's the sand of the seas won't be able to be any different than your blessing. He has pronounced this blessing, the same one he pronounced over his grandfather Abraham, over Jacob. I I don't know, maybe he doubted God's blessing that he had made to him, or the promises that he had given him. Uh, You remember his, his grandfather, Abraham had taken Jacob's father Isaac to the mountain at Mount Sinai, where he was supposed to sacrifice him. And he trusted God, even though the blessing had said it'll come through Isaac. But he knew that he could give him back Isaac alive. And so he took him and he was ready to sacrifice him before he understood God's blessing was permanent and for good and that it mattered. He trusted God, but Jacob doesn't trust God. He's worrying, he's striving with God. You ever worry and strive with God and wrestle with God and try to tell God how to do it and what needs to be done and, oh, God, if you'll just do this and, God, if you'll just do that, and that's how you pray? God, you got to, you got to, you got to, instead of, God, what do you want to do? He isn't resting. He's trying to force God to bless him, to promise him that he'd be okay. The reality was God had already blessed him and done this, and Jacob should have been at rest in that promise. He had the promise of God. It was given to him. He needed to rest in that promise. Finally, the man touches the hip, the tendon in his hip, and his hip is wrenched out of socket. And then he blesses Jacob, but not in the way that Jacob could see as a blessing. I think the blessing that he gave him there is different than the blessings that we see earlier on. It's kind of like some of the blessings that you and I have. God gave him a blessing when he touched his hip. He gave him a limp. He made him weak. He, he, he changed him from this strong man who could do anything to a man who had a limp. And his limp became an Ebenezer of sorts. It became a reminder of, him, of what he had done and And it came a reminder that you can't do it yourself and that you've got to trust God. That's the only thing you can do now. He he reminded him that it was in Jacob's weakness and in what God had promised where he would find out that God was more than enough. It's where he'd be able to rest if he would just remember. It was an end to the striving. It would be an end to the scheming. It'd be an end to the manipulating behavior. And I wonder sometimes, maybe, this is the same adjustment some of us need to make in life today as well. Maybe what needs to happen in my life and in yours is we need to quit being so strong. See, I've spent most of my life being strong enough to do it and not needing anyone else's help. Anybody here testify with me? You know? I've been spending my whole life as a pastor trying to wrestle it down myself and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this done. I'm going to make it happen. I, I'm, I'm more than strong enough. Those people will see. You may look at me and go, he's nuts, but that's the truth. And maybe we need to quit being so strong. Maybe we need to quit trying to figure everything out ourselves. And maybe, just maybe, we need to quit trying to make it look, or make it work out as we see fit. And maybe... We just need to come to know that in our weakness, that's when God shows up and does his thing. 
Maybe what we need to do is to remember, maybe we need to go back to that place of promise. That place where God promised us everything. That place where you met God. Do you remember that place where you met God, where you came face to face with Him? Because if you're in a relationship with God, somewhere along the way, you came face to face with God, you looked Him in the eye, He looked at you and He called you His friend, He called you His beloved, and He forgave you of your sins, and He promised that He would never leave you, and He promised He would never forsake you, and He promised that He would take care of you. And in that promise, you agreed but a lot of us have forgotten about that promise and we're walking along and we're trying to do it ourselves and we think it's all on us and we think we've got it figured out. And we're out here doing our own thing and we're trying to be strong and we're trying to, to manipulate and run our Christian lives, our lives ourselves. And God's saying, hey, let's go back to the promise. I want to remind you of some things. You go back 15, 16 years earlier, Jacob had built an altar. He had built this altar at Bethel. He had set the stone that he slept on that night up, and then he poured oil on it. It was an Ebenezer. It was an altar. It was a place of remembrance, but he had forgotten about it like the rest of us. Oh, he remembered it, but he didn't really believe in it. He didn't really trust in it. It was a nice evening. It was a nice day. And as the memory grew fainter, he began to wonder, did I really dream that? Did that really happen, or was that just something I imagined and he began to doubt in what God had promised him so when he's with, when he's faced with the threat of his brother Jacob he's all freaked out he didn't know what to do he's forgotten God's provision and so he's trying to wrestle and handle it he's trying to manipulate the situation and I know that I find myself doing the same thing. I think most of us do. How often have we read the promises of God in the Bible? They're to me and to you. The promises of God were not to another generation or to another people. They're to us. And we say we believe that they are true. Oh, I've heard you. Most of you have said to me, I believe in the Bible. I believe that the promises are true. We've seen God come through time and time again. We can testify to the moments when God met us and when he changed us and when he, he, he healed us and when he, he lifted us and when he gave to us and when he's encouraged us time and time again. And we swear, I'm going to remember. And we make an Ebenezer, we make a place, we make an altar, we remember. But the crisis come and we run into our own understanding and we try to figure it out and we try to control the situation. We try to manipulate. We try to make it happen. King Solomon in all of his wisdom instructed us this way. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your path. Instead we stress out. We get worried. We strive. And I think that's what Jacob's doing here. He's pleading for God to bless him. And God already has. Just like he has you and me. We plead and say, God, just bless me, bless me, bless me. And God says, I have. I said, you Jesus. You've got all the blessing you need. It's all yours. And God's already has blessed Jacob. He just needs to go back to Bethel. He just needs to go back and remember. He just needs to go back and trust him. He just needs to step back and see what God has done in the past and remember let me tell you something, and this is so important, get this straight, because even when the mess of your life is a mess of your own making, and it usually is, he, we need to remember we can trust God to get us through that situation too. We can even trust that God will take us out of our mess and make it a good thing. 
So Jacob gets a new identity. He gets a limp and he gets a new identity and he's now Israel. And Jacob, Israel looks up and here comes his brother and 400 men. And the moment's here. And he doesn't know what's going to face him. But all he knows is he's got to trust the Lord. He's by himself. He doesn't know what to do. And he prepares for whatever the situation might be. And I think he's still in fear. But Esau comes to him. And he gets off of his camel. And he walks over to his brother. And he wraps his arms around him. And begins to weep. And to love him. See, I think we fail to receive a lot of blessings because we spend so much much of our time trying to figure out what it is we need to do. And so we avoid situations. We try to live life by human provision rather than trusting in God's provision. We manipulate and figure and scheme and plot and try to get things to come together according to my provision when God has already provided if we'll just join Him and trust Him. And that's what Jacob needed to do. He already was sending Esau with a heart that had been changed to love his brother and to welcome him home. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 reminds us that we have this treasure we call life. And folks, I want to tell you, I don't care how old or young you are, this life we live is a treasure. It is an amazing treasure. And we have this amazing treasure in jars of clay. And that just simply means that you are living in a clay pot that this body is fragile and that this life that we live this physical part of our lives is very very fragile that it can break and be gone at any time and we've seen that we're hearing about it we watch it all around us we're at best cracked pots broken fragile vessels and yet we live like we have it all figured out we live like we have life by the tail by ourselves And Paul reminds us again in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that we don't have to figure it all out, but we need to trust in God God because His grace is sufficient for us. That it's in our weakest of places that we find God's full strength showing up. I don't care where you're at right now. You need to be in the weakest place possible so that God can show up and show you His strength and what He wants to do. And we need to learn to know and to trust that God is sufficient enough for all the things we face. And that when we strive, we're not living in faith. We're just hanging on trying to wrestle it down ourselves. We need to remember so that we can trust and place our faith in Him. We do not need to know or understand everything as long as we know that God is our Father. It's good stuff right there. I put that on Facebook last night. (laughs) I wonder if maybe there's some things that you're striving for. And wrestling with right now that you already have God's provision for. He's already provided for it. And you're over there wrestling and trying to win and trying to beat it down. And you're fretting and you're stressing. And God's already made a promise and he's already told you about it. But you've forgotten about it. And you just don't trust God enough. And so you're wrestling with that illness like it's all on you and you're going to get it figured out. Maybe you've made a mess of your finances, your finances, and so you, you're sitting there going, well, I, I made the mess. I can't go to God and ask him to fix it. And God's laughing. He goes, I expected you to make a mess. Of course you can come to me. I'll help you with that. Or, or, or maybe you've made a mess and are afraid God will say, you made your bed, now go lie in it. Anybody have a dad that said something like that to you? Yeah, how many of you dads have ever said anything like that? Yeah, okay. Or maybe you've got a business deal you're trying to figure out or a messed up relationship with your kids 
And a promise you made years ago and you failed to keep and you need to go make it right. And in your heart of hearts, deep down inside, you're going, I just, I just can't do that. You're stressing. You're playing all the scenarios in your head. Anybody do that? You try to play all the scenarios. This is what I go, oh my goodness, and if I do this, and if I do this, and if I do this, and it's going on and on and on, and you're playing all those tapes through your head, trying to figure it out, how to make it work, and every time you do it, it always looks like you're going to end up dead. Because Satan always likes to have them come out negative. It's the wrong thing to do. We don't need to play those in our head. We need to quit striving. We need to stop trying to figure it all out. We need to simply trust and just ask God, help us. And then we need to trust in Him. You need to let God be enough. I need to let God be enough. So God can control things. So my question is, is God enough for you today? Is He really enough for you today? I'm not asking you, do you know that in theory? I'm asking you in reality, is God enough for you today? Can you trust him? Can you let go of the, the circumstances and the situations and the things that are out there that you face and that seem so overwhelming? Can you let go of them and go to the promises that he made and depend upon those promises in your life? Can you trust him today? See, Jacob had to come to that place but, you know, even in the middle of that, the fear, the overwhelming feeling that he had from his situation was that he's going to die. But he finally goes out and he meets his brother and God shows him. What a shame that he had to go through all that mess. What a shame that he had to live with all that stress. When he could have just trusted in the promise that God had made to him. So God has made you all these promises. Every one of you sitting here today, God has made you incredible promises. It's called Bible. If you haven't read them, they're there for you. And the question is, can you trust him? Will you trust him? No matter what your circumstance is right this moment, will you trust him? Father, that's the question that we want to leave it with today. I think the adjustment, Lord, that I need to make in my life is, is that I need to quit trying to do everything myself and I need to trust you. Because your promises are yes and amen. They are true. They're always true. And never once do you say, I'll promise you this, but if you do that, then I'm going to pull that promise back. Your promises are good. Even when we mess up, even when we fail, even when we've made the mess, when the young man ran away from home and left and took everything with him in the story that Jesus told at the end when he came back, the mess was on him. He came back and he was manipulating. He was striving. He was trying to play the scenario out. I'll come back a servant. But you wouldn't even listen to him. You just said, you're back. You're my son. And that's what we need to listen to. So Satan cannot have his way in this place. He cannot have his way in this church. He cannot have his way in any of the families in this church. God, you are enough. Help us to look to you. Help us to see you. Help us to let the promises that you've made to us be enough. Help us to begin to trust in those and to live in those and to live in victory and to live in joy and to live in hope because, Lord, you are more than enough. And we give you praise. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. We invite you now, Lord, to come to each person who is sitting here. And God, right now, if there's anyone in this place 
who is sitting there right now and they're dealing with what I'm talking about. They have a situation. They have a circumstance. They have stuff in their lives that, that they're just not sure what's going to happen. And they're, they're afraid and they're wrestling with it and they're worrying about it and they're striving. Lord, would you go to them and remind them of the promise you made that you would be enough, that you would not leave us. You will not forsake us. You have not forgotten about us and that your promises are true. We love you, Lord. We praise you. Thank you for what you're doing in each heart. Lord, I pray that as we move forward in the days ahead, that you will continue to move with us and that, that our lives will change from ones of people who strive to ones of people who trust and who remain faithful in the midst of everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today.